You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 1. There was a knock at the door. Sid's father bolted upright. He seized the baseball bat that stood at attention like a wooden soldier in the foyer, ready for combat. Identify yourself, he hissed. It's Ben, sir, the visitor said. Sid exhaled and pushed past her father to deftly unlock the many deadbolts and chains and faced her smoking hot botanist boyfriend, hands on her hips. It's only Ben, daddy, she said, her bowels cooling. Not some government enforcer trying to bully her father into re-enlisting or crazy revolutionaries insisting they join the cause. Ben grinned with one side of his mouth as he often did. Thanks for that warm greeting. Missed you too. She pretended to gag herself with her finger, which amused him. The tiniest fraction of affection made her squirm. Aside from volleying insults back and forth, avoiding PDAs from Ben was her second favorite pastime. Miss you. You're always here. What's it like out there? Her father asked Ben, returning the wooden soldier to its post. You hear they looted the grocery store on Delaware? Good thing we prepped. Her father gestured to his emergency prep hoard like a strung-out game show model. Feast your eyes on these five-gallon buckets of beef stroganoff, perfect for doomsday or any day. We're good for months, years even. Awesome pile, sir, Ben said. Sid snorted, kiss ass, she mouthed to him. Sid and her father lived in a 900-square-foot apartment, 80% of which were emergency preparations. You want creature comfort, or do you want to survive a complete government shutdown, her father would ask when she complained. But it wasn't easy sharing space with 600 buckets of venison jerky and freeze-dried potatoes. Ask yourself why there's no police presence, her father began. Daddy, Sid interrupted, Ben doesn't care. Ben shot her a sideways glance. Sure I do, Sid, he lied. If he were closer, he would have playfully pinched her but touching in front of Sid's father was something Ben never did. Sid stuck out her tongue at Ben. If it's so bad, we should just blow off school, Sid said to her father. And call attention to yourself, her dad asked, turning the corner into the foyer. You think some government agency doesn't get pinged every time some punk goes missing? Next thing you know, you're considered rogue and you're marked as non-compliant. Sid picked at her fingers, then bit the skin around her nails. And cut that out, her father told her. Makes you look nervous. I raised you to be tough. Sid dropped her hands. You'll be late if you don't get a move on. Train leaves at 0900, her father told them. Ben nudged Sid towards the door. Right, sir. Come on, Sid. Door to door, her father reminded Ben. Ben took Sid's messenger bag and threw the strap over his head. Then he grabbed her Go Navy key lanyard from the bowl on the console table and pushed her backward out the door. Got my word. And come on back after school, Ben. I want to show you my new solar generator. Puts out 1,800 watts without a drop of fuel. She's a real beauty. You bet, Ben replied, pulling the door closed. They heard Sid's father click and latch the multiple locks from inside. Sounds like a party, Sid said to Ben. You boys have quite the day planned. She reached up and scrambled Ben's hair, then bolted. Awesome pile, sir, Sid mocked. That's it, you're dead, Sid squealed and took off for the stairwell. 
Ben chased her down the apartment building's dingy, dilapidated staircase and onto the street. She stopped to catch her breath, hands on her thighs. Ben approached. He crouched as if ready for attack, and she laughed between gasps for air. Instead, he grabbed her wrists and pulled her into him, nestling his face into the soft spot between her neck and shoulder. She let him for a moment. Nothing was quite like the feeling of safety in Ben's arms. More comfort than 100 gallons of freeze-dried food could provide. She breathed in the cool menthol scent of his shaving cream and let him nuzzle her neck, ear, and jaw. Goose flesh tickled her everywhere. Ben took her hand and they jaywalked to the other side. An angry driver swerved around them, his tires screeching. Ben threw his arm in front of Sid. Jesus, you okay? He said to Sid, and she nodded. It's getting downright hostile out here. They hurried to the other side of the street. Thought any more about my offer? He asked Sid. Her stomach rolled. You know I can't move in with you right now. My dad is already off his rocker with this revolution business. Why don't you move in with us? And sleep where? Your father has boxes piled everywhere. He's got them stacked all the way up to the door. It's pretty surprising he's still letting you out. Sid chewed on a fingernail from her free hand. Do you think we'll miss the train? It's probably later than we think. Ben stopped in the middle of the sidewalk. The earlier joy drained from his face. You promised to think about it, he said, sounding whinier than he intended. Sid scowled. Why are you flipping out? In a couple of years, look around. This country is falling apart, Sid. We might not have a couple of years. I want to start our life now. Sid shook off Ben's hand and stuffed her balled-up fists into her pockets. I don't know what that even means. Start our life. This is our life, she said, quickening her pace. I'm a college sophomore. You're a senior. Anyway, what, what my dad says goes. Ben stopped walking. So that's it? He decides our future? Sid shrugged. Am I a little relieved to let my father decide for me, she thought. Well, when you get to live your life your way, let me know. Jeez. I hope nothing ever happens to your dad. You'd be lost. For some reason, Sid felt herself wanting to lash out. It was one thing that Ben thought she was a helpless baby, but to hear him say it out loud really lit her up. Her mouth was moving before she could stop it. I'm not one of your rare orchids you can put under a glass. You don't own me. I'm no one's property. I know you're a free spirit. You don't need anyone. Message received. Ben walked ahead of her in silence for two blocks until they reached the subway entrance. Sid considered what he said, the irony being that she wasn't a free spirit. Her panic disorder would never let her be. The truth was, as much as she needed Ben, pushing him away had become a game of risk, like dangling toes off the edge of the subway platform. She hated how right he was. Girls her age were already moving to big cities and getting important jobs before all this revolutionary business anyway. Sid was on track to go right from her father's to her boyfriend's. Deep down, she believed that because of her panic attacks, having men take care of her seemed to be her lot in life. It was a sobering thought. Ben slowed down, acutely aware of the fact that she didn't try to catch up with him. And right then, she knew. Again, she won. She was the victor in the sport where the only ones keeping score were each other. He'd done nothing wrong, but that wasn't the point. With Sid, it was about control. It was only ever about control. Crowded down here, he said, softening. 
hoping to get her talking again. She refused the bait, knowing it would interrupt the pace, the pattern of their reconciliation, a routine she knew by heart. To Sid, it offered a strange comfort, always knowing how their arguments would end. But the thing about Ben was when he finally did go down, he went down swinging. You're probably right. He swiped his mobile ticket at the turnstile, then moved through it. You're only 19. You're not ready. I'm practically 20. Still, I just hope I can wait that long. Sid smiled at him and pushed through the bar. Your reverse psychology is showing. And the truth was, nothing was holding Ben back. No parents hovering over him, pulling his strings like he was one of those old-time marionettes. They'd left him a few years ago to join the cause, leaving him to fend for himself. Once they were off the grid, no one had heard from them again. Ben was a free agent, and the world at the moment was becoming unhinged at best. Not to mention he was quite the catch, aside from the fact that he was a 6'2 hunk of hotness who didn't know it. He was also an environmental activist whose idea of a good time meant repotting begonias or visiting a local nursery. To Sid's father, Ben's value was his proficiency in the garden, which would be handy in the event of a total societal collapse. Completely out of the league of a panic-ridden, punk-rock chick, Sid often thought. Tell me you don't think it would be a little bit awesome, he said, the relief of her long-awaited clemency all over his face. Not having to get you home by a certain time? Watching TV in bed? You torturing me with those ice-cold feet under the covers. He nudged her. She playfully slapped his arm, putting their little squabble behind them. What about you, with your Dutch ovens and your dagger toenails? I've seen better feet on velociraptors. They stood against the wall of the station, away from the crowds, Ben hugging her from behind. Seriously, though, wouldn't you sleep better with me there beside you? Sid grinned agreeably, although she didn't fully subscribe to that notion. In fact, her late-night restlessness had intensified with all that was going on. She didn't tell him about how she was sneaking outside in the middle of the night, because being locked in the apartment under her father's eagle eye was making her very claustrophobic. She'd rather risk walking the dark streets during the imminent revolution against their corrupt president than be trapped somewhere against her will. When the train arrived, they boarded the first car and rushed to their favorite bench by the connecting doors. Sid hated trains and anything else that held her captive for too long. Ben and she would count the seconds between stops. Counting always soothed her, distracted her from the fact she was confined in a crowded metal tube, hurtling through unmaintained tunnels that were more than 100 years old. Her left leg dangled over his right. They thumb wrestled and people watched. It was standing room only. Everyone smashed in together with their elbows bumping and perspiration dotting their brows. The air in the car was still and muggy, smelling of bad perfume, perspiration, ugh, last night's booze, egg sandwiches, and secondhand smoke. The train rattled on. Ba-dum-da-dum, ba-dum-da-dum, ba-dum-da-dum. Ben put his arm around her shoulders and held her tighter. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Do you have anything to read? She shook her head no and laid her head on him. Just then, as if the friction in the air caught a spark, a loud conversation on the other end of the train car escalated. Bystanders backed away from what was becoming a heated argument, flooding into Sid and Ben's corner. Sid regarded Ben with panicked eyes, 
He got to his feet and strong-armed the crowd. Watch it! We got nowhere to go, a man said, pushing back. Ben stared at him as the train stopped at the station. Ben! Sid jumped between the man and grabbed Ben's face. Stop! Come on! She motioned to a police officer waiting on the other side of the train car doors. The last thing you'd want was to be arrested in the current atmosphere. If a revolution were to break out trapped in a jail cell is not where a person wants to be. The door opened and people gladly disembarked. Sid yanked Ben harder and he finally backed away, exiting the train. They hurried from the station. Are you insane? Sid said to him. Everyone's got weapons now, Ben. He could have killed you. And then what? Who's there to protect me? She cried her voice louder and more self-involved than she intended, but it was really just her panic finding its release valve. Ben put his arm around her shoulders and hurried her toward campus. Sorry, you're right. If you'd let me carry, I would feel a lot better. No, you know how I feel about guns. They're nothing but an instrument to take life. Ben sighed. Your dad has a closet full of them. No, absolutely not. I mean it, Ben. No guns or weapons of any kind. It hasn't come to that yet. They entered the campus and stopped to observe. It resembled downtown Delhi more than the civilized metropolitan institution on the school's glossy marketing brochure. The Civil Liberties Student Union trying to draft volunteers. The Occupy Wall Streeters bellowing into their megaphones about police brutality. Hundreds of students milled around, being drawn into the chaos. Various colored leaflets and handouts littered the ground. Trash bins overflowed. It was obvious that school officials had all but abandoned any possibility of controlling the situation. It's getting worse, Sid said, the tiny hairs rising on her arms. Make sure you meet me at our spot on time. I want to get in and out of school today. When Ben had first come to the university, he studied horticulture and was therefore privy to a 1,500-square-foot greenhouse behind the Agricultural Science Building. There were always plastic crates to sit on and fruit trees to steal fruit from. Each day, they were in awe that no one else ever tried to infringe upon their hidden paradise. Ben guided her, his hand pressed against her lower back. Keep moving, Sid, the familiar sting of panic bubbling up like ginger ale pouring over her scalp. She couldn't focus, her thoughts racing. Here comes the crazy, going crazy for sure. I'm not breathing, why won't my lungs move? A protester approached them, rattling a paper in their face. Turn off your phones, protect your Fourth Amendment rights. GPS tracking is a constitutional violation. Ben pushed him aside and forced Sid forward. Out of the way, he warned as the guy's papers shot up into the air then floated to the ground. Ben, Sid said, stop. The guy laughed and crouched to retrieve the papers. I'm not the problem, dude. You're wasting your time, Ben told him. They won't let us have phones much longer anyway. Sid gasped. Is that true? Ben shrugged and lifted his brows. They took our internet. What's to stop them? Sid forced herself to break through the hurricane force thoughts gusting through her mind and count the steps until they reached Connery Hall. 105, 106, 107. Sometimes it was more or less depending on the size steps she took. But usually it was 107. She loved it when it was 107. It always meant good luck. They swiped their badges at Connery Hall and entered. Sid's breathing regulated and her heart rate slowed the instant they entered the building. You okay? He asked. She nodded. Come on, let's get you to class. I still have to make it to the third floor. She shook her head. 
You go. I have to go to the bathroom. She lied. I'll wait. I promised your dad door-to-door service. I'm a big girl. Go, or I'll be mad. She ordered just as the bell sounded. You sure? Go. He kissed her on the lips and bolted. Our spot, right after class. Don't be late. As soon as he was out of sight, Sid crept from Connery Hall and ran one building down to the cafeteria. It took her 64 steps to get there. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.